black, you're white. Now what? What if I say the wrong thing? You probably will. Who doesn't? But I'll do my best to listen. Maybe if we're humble enough to listen to each other. Maybe if we're brave enough to lean into those difficult conversations. We might. We could. Come up with some answers. Make some real progress. Discover how much we have in common. And appreciate our differences. Now you're talking. I'm David Connolly, communications consultant. And I'm Chris Thurber, clinical psychologist. And welcome to another episode of I'm Black, You're White, Now What? And uh, today's guest is uh, Brandon Thomas. Uh, Brandon is on the faculty at uh, Exeter Academy. Woo! And is also, uh, yeah, no, right, go Exeter. <laughs> uh, and in, uh, in addition to uh, teaching there, uh, he's also a football and wrestling coach, so uh, he's a stone killer. Uh, so we'll be having a great discussion with him. Uh, but Chris, uh, I'd like to, you know, just kind of recap our last episode and our great conversation, which was a very exciting episode uh, and had me thinking uh, far after it was over with uh, Reverend Dustin Ward. And yeah. um, uh, I just, I really enjoyed uh, just what his plans were for Maine and um, just the ramifications of that type of thinking for the country as a whole, you know, just how can we think about actually bringing people together, not only uh, socially, but, uh, you know, economic uh, initiatives, uh, you know, things that will will enhance people's, uh, you know, relations with each other business-wise, politically. It, it was just a, a pretty comprehensive way of thinking about it. And um, the fact that thinking like that is coming out of some of the the tragic things that are happening was, you know, kind of inspiring by itself. I don't know. How it was think. inspiring. And also, I think uh, Dustin's devotion, dedication, uh, his perseverance with the work that he's mm -hmm. doing. And I was moved by his describing how he really felt a calling to the ministry. And mm -hmm. when he had completed his training and was part of the Maine Baptist Church, at a parish in Yarmouth and was loving that work. And with all that was happening now this spring with police violence against unarmed black men primarily and some women, he wanted to communicate very clearly to his parishioners the importance of their awareness and their action. And mm -hmm. when he did that, he got some sort of what he calls polite racism, uh, some yeah. blowback that was, you know, Reverend, that's all well and good, but it's a little too political. And I thought he made an extremely <laughs> strong argument for how it's not political, it's, it's right. human. And um, whether you're religious or not, disregarding human life is a different kettle of fish. And mm -hmm. he was, he was, he knew that he had to do something else and uh, made this career shift, which I think is a really gutsy thing to do. And to transform a mostly white state like Maine into uh, a state of greater awareness and with greater self-awareness and uh, social responsibility is a formidable task. But, you know, Dustin is organized. He is yeah, he a man on a mission. He's got his business plan. He's got the five-year vision. He's got the 10-year vision. So we hope to have him back on the show. 
I thought it was uh, interesting before we, we move uh, into today's guest. I just want to say I thought speaking about that, uh, the response from the church, I, I just mm-hmm. think it's interesting how, um, and, and this is something for people to think about, I think, how committed we are until such time uh, that that commitment is called upon. You know, um, I had a, a pastor tell me years ago that uh, faith only matters when, you know, all seems hopeless. And so when everything is going well, you know, faith is really a non-issue, but faith really matters then. So commitment only really matters when your commitment is, you know, like called upon to whatever degree. You can talk about what you believe and, you know, all of this until such time as somebody says, hey, you know what? We probably need to, since we are, you know, people of faith, what do you say we do this? <laughs> then that's when you start seeing, right? you know, uh, where, where where the where the rubber meets the road. You start seeing where people you yeah. know, are uh, with regard to their hearts and their minds and, and all of that. And a lot of it is fear. And so I just thought it was kind of, that part was kind of sad, but also how he took it and used it as fuel to, to move forward to still do the work he's doing now and in some ways a greater work i think you know like scope wise yeah uh, was inspiring so yeah. um definitely a great episode yeah and um so i'm looking forward to to this one now so well yeah speaking of uh, where the rubber hits about the who road, got today yeah so brandon full disclosure <laughs> right. has been a close friend for a number of years and we've been on some worldwide adventures together, which we may get to talking about today. But um, I think, uh, Brandon, we'd love for you to tell listeners and viewers a little bit about your background. But first, in addition to the sort of professional qualifications that David mentioned earlier, being on the faculty of Phillips Exeter Academy and coaching football and wrestling, um, really, really where the rubber hits the road for you is your role as a teacher and as a professional educator in the Department of Health and Human Development. So, uh, you know, if there are any students who graduate from Phillips Exeter Academy who still have questions about sex or drugs, it's it's obviously it's your fault. Um, (laughs) But no, I mean, you know, who better to uh, inform us about sort of the state of mind of of, uh, bright young people than our guest today, Brandon Thomas. So tell us a little bit more about yourself and then we'll dive right in. Such a pleasure to be here. Thank you all for having me on. You know, it's always, it's always fun to connect with really um, Born and raised in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. So uh, left grad school and was kind of trying to figure life out. And I had always been someone who had a relatively large personality. So I picked the weirdest place I could find to move to. I left South Carolina and actually moved to Grandport, North Dakota. Worked for a university there for a little while, left there, moved to New Hampshire, been here for seven years now, which shocks me more than shocks anybody else being a young mm-hmm. black guy. So um, <laughs> it's been an interesting journey, but a fun journey. Um, but I think, you know, I, I, I consider myself a citizen of the world, uh, 46 states, uh, 22, 21 countries, um, just really enjoying life and trying to see and do as much as I possibly can. Um, and it's, it's, it's been a wild ride. Maybe at the end of this, I can tell you some funny stories about me and Chris across the world. <laughs> well, so th- I didn't realize you'd been to that many. You just say four, you've traveled to 46 of the 50 states. 
and, 42. and 22. Alaska, Hawaii. Wow. Alaska, Hawaii is easy. The Iowa and the Arkansas are hard. <laughs> so, of that, I'm sure, for a number of reasons. <laughs> and so talk about that because, you know, this is, uh, I don't know that I know anyone who's that well-traveled, especially with regard to the focus of this series, which is anti-black racism and social justice. Um, uh, give us a few anecdotes. And, uh, and just because I have such a loud voice, speak up so that your microphone captures you and we don't lose any of your precious audio. Absolutely. What's, no. that, what's that been like to do so much traveling? It's been amazing, unique, and difficult, like all of the adjectives, right? It's all, it's all of the above, just because you see so much. Um, some of it, which you absolutely love, right? You meet people in places that you never thought you would meet. You eat things that you never thought um, were on a menu. Um, you see things that um, look a bit awkward, right? Um, so someone in North Dakota, um, eating an engine block is normal. To someone from South Carolina, that, that's foreign. To someone in New England, having central AC is an amenity. To someone in South Carolina, that, that's a different thing. Um, I, I think the beautiful thing about traveling, for me at least, is realizing how local everything is. Um, like, like a lot of things are unique to you because of where you are. Um, and whether I'm living in California, right, where, where the natural disaster I'm thinking about may be an earthquake or a fire, or I'm living in <laughs> South Carolina and it's a hurricane, right? And it's so funny because depending on where you live is always like what you're worried about. <laughs> it's like, right. oh, like I'm from South Carolina, so like I'm like, oh, hurricane? Oh, that's easy. But as soon as somebody says tornado, I'm like, wait a minute. What if you hang out in the Midwest? They're like, oh, it's just a twister. Like, you'll see one tomorrow. I'm like, no. <laughs> you know what I mean? And when we, when we talk about things relative to race, right, like when you go to these different places, like the one thing you can't escape is, you know, the, the history of, of the United States of America. And you just realize, right, how vast uh, it is, right? Traveling around and, and being around um, different cities in Asia and Europe, right? A six-hour drive, you know, I might not even be able to get, you know, out of New England. But a six-hour drive in Europe, you might, depending on where you are, you can hit four or five different countries. Um, and so the, 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 where that could take you, right? If, if I'm in Iowa or if I'm driving six hours in Arkansas, like, you may end up in a place where no one looks like you, where um, you may look a bit out of place or where someone hasn't seen someone who's looked like you in a very long time. Um, and that can change, you know, the, the way in which you comport yourself, right? Um, do I really want to get out of the car at this gas station? Should I just, just hang out and, and only go out in the big city? Um, whenever I do go out, is there something for me to do? Is there a community nearby? Right? All questions you have to consistently ask you. But nevertheless, like, it's still amazing just to see it, right? Um, it's one thing to, to, to be able to, to like think about things and dream. It's another thing to be able to go there and see those things for yourself. Mm -hmm. do, do you see like a difference in, in, I think it's great because I hadn't thought about some of the differences like in the things you'd have to think about, but uh, I haven't been to as many uh, states as you nearly, but in, I do recognize that because I'm from St. Louis. And so things like tornadoes and stuff, you know, were, 
like, yeah, okay, yeah, we it's tornado season, you know. But then you think about people. <laughs> I used to say, why would they live where there's a hurricane? That's ridiculous, you know. It's just so, uh, and the same with California and the earthquakes and everything. Why don't they move? Um, but I wonder about your experiences with with people. And since we're talking about uh, racism, like, have you seen it? where it's expressed differently, you know, in, in different places that you've been since you've been to just about all the states. You know, it's, it's so interesting because anytime you ask people from a place about people, they, they always say the same thing. Oh my God, they're so nice. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and the South is, is Southern hospitality and in some areas of the Midwest, like I remember being in Minnesota and it's called like Minnesota nice. Um, mm-hmm. And then you go to the West Coast and it's like, oh, yeah, you always meet a friend in California. And it's like, oh, OK, right. But like they don't say like <laughs> you meet a friend that is also white. <laughs> you meet a friend that is also Latinx, right? They kind of keep those markers off of it. And uh, I- I'll say this. Um, the-, the one beautiful thing about the South is, um, you know, immediately when you are not welcome, right? Um, mm-hmm. In the Deep South especially, you-, you know, immediately when you're not welcome. What I've noticed in a lot of other places in the country, um, more so Northeast, is um, the, the, the outward racism that, that, that doesn't exist as much, but it's much more hidden and, and much more systemic in nature. Um, and that's my experience, right? Uh, I mean, I think, you know, I can't speak for everyone, but for me, it's been a lot more behind closed doors, a lot of people who uh, don't say a whole lot, but um, when you hear things or, or when you feel um, that something hasn't gone your way and you dig a little bit deeper, there's some things that maybe seem a bit shady. Um, mm-hmm. So I think um, there are certain parts of the country who are very proud of who they are, <laughs> their history, and uh, what they stand for. And there are other parts of the country who uh, really do a really good job of masking um, some of the things that they don't want to change. And uh, I think you attributed a large part of uh, change. Uh, change is hard for us all. I think um, the pandemic hasn't showed us anything. It has showed us that you know adjusting is really tough, right? Um, why do I have to wear a mask? It's not comfortable. I can't breathe. Like, do I cough in it? Do I not? Do I, what kind of mask do I wear? I mean, it's the constant adjusting, and I think that that transcends, you know, uh, race, right? Like whenever, like whenever you see your community and you have this vision of what it looks like. And then it instantly becomes and starts to look a, a bit different. It's like, wait, this isn't what I thought it was, and, it, and it's really unique. And to take that on a global perspective, I think, in a, in a, and this is my personal opinion, I think in America we're extremely spoiled. Spoiled in the sense that, like, we can legitimately live next to someone who is both um, Indian, Chinese, um, Italian, uh, Puerto Rican. Uh, Colombia, like we can have all of those same people in the same neighborhood and we don't blink. And we're like, oh, you know, just a cool neighborhood. Whereas a lot of other countries are extremely racially homogenous, right? Um, you have, in certain parts of China, like everybody is Chinese. It's like, no, <laughs> no, yeah. you know, no, it's not, oh, yeah, you know, that guy's from Senegal. Oh, you know what? That guy's from, from Italy. Oh, you know what? That guy's from Northern Ireland. Oh, yeah, you know, he, he's from um, Martinique. No, 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 no. Everybody was born in that neighborhood and lived in that neighborhood. And they stayed there their entire life. And I think we take it for granted on a daily basis that we can walk outside of our house, our houses and just see someone that looks completely different. 
You know what I mean? I'll, I'll never forget being in China and I'm going to the mall and I'm I'm on the escalator and a, and a, a parent has a kid like in their arm. The kid is like sleeping. The parent like shakes the kid, wakes the kid up. And it was in that moment that, that you kind of process it. And your first reaction coming from America is like, what? You staring at me? I can't. Eat. I leave America and I'm de- I'm dealing with the same BS. All right, here we go. But this, when you when you dig a little bit deeper, you're like, okay, wow. Like the reason why is because this country has billions of people, and it's not a lot of people that look like me. So it's, it's just, it just makes you consider things. And I think that's the beautiful thing about traveling and being able to see different things. It helps you process, um, and it gives you a different filter and a different lens to be able to look at the, look at life. In yeah, a way, I mean, it seems like that would sadden me more, you know, because like listening to you, I would think that that especially by now, um, and I do understand, you know, the historical perspective, but especially by now, that the fact that you can do that and that you would take it for granted that you'll see somebody different, it looks like by now we would be more accepting of that. Do you know what I mean? But instead. It doesn't feel like that at all, and and it would be more understandable if you hardly ever saw somebody who looked like this. You know what I mean? But the fact that that you can and that you know that that this country is supposed to be more about that, and you know we we run into like such a resistance, uh, you know, for that at this age uh, of the country is is kind of a sad thing, I think. And thinking about it as you're talking, you know. yeah, you know, and I and I and I oftentimes wonder about that as well, right? And so, and this is the way I process it in my mind. Um, and it's it's about exposure. Um, mm-hmm. So, I, I think we think about exposure in terms of like, okay, what we see and and uh, what we read about and all these different things. But uh, I think I, I read a stat one time and it was studying. It was like seventy uh, percent. 70% of people never live more than 60 miles away from where they grew up, right? Mm-hmm. So if you think about that on a larger scale, and I'm from Iowa, one of the states I and you don't, you and four generations of your family have never left this 200-mile radius, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, that exposure shapes, like, how you see the world. Okay, maybe you go on a cruise. Maybe uh, you take a, a vacation to, to, you know, Europe every five years or like that but the the levels of exposure from having never left that spot right it's the same thing as someone who lives in china and never leaves that that neighborhood right and and how process it is if if we don't continuously expose ourselves to different people different ideals we become a little bit more insular not because we hate or because we dislike but just because like that's our worldview like this is how we process the world and we don't have that lens or, or these different valves in which to see the world through, right? It becomes a little bit more intensive. Um, and so my whole life's mission, at least for me, is to get as many lenses and valves as I possibly can, because in that way, then, as a teacher, I'm able to explain things from a different perspective. I think one of my shortcomings as a teacher is being from the South, I think I look at things very much black and white, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, I, I Whenever I think about race and race relations, it's like American racism, black, white, that's it, right? But it's so much more complex than that, right? We got Latinx, we got Asian, we got a lot of different things going on. 
And I think, you know, as I as I read, as I expose myself, as I put myself in different situations, right, I start to get those little bit. I have to say, you know, as your friend and colleague, it's one of the things that I most admire about you, Brandon, and the way that you set an example in how you educate yourself, which is, as you were saying, exposure. And I, you know, I have benefited a great deal from the workshops that we've done at school, from conversations that we've had uh, around anti-black racism this year, you know, every Thursday. I've learned so much talking with David, interviewing people on the show. Um, and and none of it carries the educative like power of living in different places. You know, to disabuse someone of a stereotype or to get back in touch with your own humility. Or I think, and again, it's another way that you set a really good example for me anyway, is you, you know, until you have reason to believe otherwise, you expect the best from other people. And especially not always having been treated kindly in your life, you are still wanting to extract that from other people. And I think just the fact that you've done so much traveling is evidence of that. But I wanna, I wanna round out the story of being in the mall in China because I was with you then and Brandon and I were working for this summer school and I had said when, I think you remember the conversation that we had prior to your signing on, like I really don't think there are any other black faculty or staff or kids or, and you were like, that's cool. I mean, same attitude that you have now, like I wanna check it out. And when we went to the mall and I remember that mother waking up her kid, like, look, look. And then I remember a couple of other kids coming up to you who thought that you were Kobe Bryant. Um, and you, you remember that? And you're ready to like sign an autograph. You're like, yeah, okay, that's gonna cost you a thousand yuan, but yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll sign, I'll sign your sneakers if you want me to. But you know, and 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 it's you you like I would have totally understood if you'd gone away mad, but instead you recognize the situation not as racism, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. But what I remember you saying is what you said a minute or two ago, which is it's it's lack of exposure. Um, I mean, I you know I don't even look like Kobe Bryant, but that's all that they've got as a reference. Um, and, you know, if, if I may, like fast forward uh, eight weeks later, and I was no longer in China, but you still were, and I asked you a bit, uh, you know, you were in three different cities. So after being in uh, Changshu and then Hong Kong, and then you were in Beijing, and you said, well, there is one thing that's starting to wear on me, and that is when at the, at the end of the week or two when parents come to gather up their kids, instead of asking me about the course I was teaching, they, they want to take a picture with me. And it mm -hmm. seems like more with me than the other teachers. And, you know, like, I, I'm not sure how I feel about that. Can you talk about how you conceptualize that? How you, if people are inspired listening to this, like, okay, I want to travel. 
more than I do. Um, what, what, what was that particular experience like of being photographed? And then what would you say to anyone who anticipates they'll be a, a minority in the place where they're going? Um, and maybe that's like Brandon's, you know, top five race related travel tips. But um, what, first of all, what was, what was the, being photographed like and how did you handle that emotionally? Well, it's, it's really interesting, um, and I think um, I approach it differently, and, I, and I, I suggest everybody approach it in the way in which they want. Um, know that you will be sensationalized in a way, right? Um, and I think largely because of lack of exposure. Um, yeah. So you have, in that moment, you, you're going to have to make a lot of decisions. And for me, how I processed it was, I may be the only American Navy, and I don't want anyone to leave and say, hey, listen, I met a black American and they weren't, right? Um, one thing <laughs> that uh, the United States has taught me is that people can attach uh, a lot with just one person, right? Mm. Whenever a black person does something, it's not just that, that black person, all of them, right? And so one thing that I said, I was like, I'm not going to give me or any other black person in America a bad name. And so... Um, I was very gracious, sometimes more gracious than I would, would have liked to have been. But also, I felt like, um, I feel like, at least, um, a lot of people who come into America with these stereotypes, unfair or unfair, and I thought a lot of them were unfair, right? Mm. Um, I, thought, I think that as, as a country, I think we put a lot of stereotypes on different people. And, mm -hmm. and I think that probably goes the other way as well. So for me... I, t I took a myth-busting route, and I said, all right, cool. This is maybe what you think, America, bro, but this is what I'm going to be. And I'll never forget the times that people will walk up and just say hello and want pictures. And, and a lot of it, it in, a, in my heart of hearts, I truly believe, was because, like, like people were curious. It's like, wow, you got this country that's supposed to be one of the best in the world. They have this extraordinary amount of wealth. There's so many cool things, right? You can say what you want. You can do what you want. Like, let me, let me see what this is all about. Yeah. And I embrace that. At a point, um, when you feel like it's a bit much, when everybody just wants a picture, when you kind of feel like it's a, it's a show. Um, and not yeah. that I was a celebrity, but the same way in which they feel, it's like, you just, you just want me as a prop. I think mm -hmm. you should always take care of yourself. But just understand uh, that whenever you're somewhere else and, and, you, and it's new and it's different, um, there's some things that come with that, right? In the same thing, in the same way that um, I was pretty popular, is the same way that people want pictures, and I'm a prop, right? But the, the flip side of that is, I went to Africa, and I was instantly in the majority, and I was I disappeared, and that felt amazing, and I loved it. I got off the plane, and somebody was like, "Welcome home." And I'm like, oh. <laughs> wow. Done. Goes up shop. I feel I feel amazing, right? And it was 90-10 the other way. And it, and it felt so beautiful just to be like, oh, wait, eyes aren't on me? Oh, this is how I can use this. And so it, life <laughs> is ups and downs, gifts and curses, and highs and lows, peaks and valleys, right? Um, in certain situations, you're going to be up. In certain situations, you're going to be down. And that doesn't change no matter where you are. And uh, I'm just really happy that I have the emotional fortitude to be able to handle it be as gracious as possible 
Um, but I understand that, that everybody may not approach it that way, and, and that's okay. But just understand that I think a lot of it comes from um, ignorance and not from a place of balance. Can you talk I a little bit about? Oh, I'm go sorry. ahead, David. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, I, I, speaking to that, as far as like me thinking about how I would feel in that situation, I would. I didn't have that one. I had a very minor version of that one time. I was at a, a place in uh, Minnesota, it's a small, small uh, town, and I was at a gas station. And this girl I had never met before came up to me and asked me if she could touch my hair. And I looked at her and I, I thought that was like a, at that time, the strangest question I had ever heard. Um, and, but when I looked at her, in her face, she had no malice. She was dead serious and she was, she was as serious as she was. She was equally curious. She really, had never really been exposed and wanted to know. And yeah. uh, the people I was would explain to me that there was one, and I put black in quotes, uh, person in town relative to that person. I was the blackest person they had ever seen. That person was uh, a mixed race person, so they were black, but they were, you know, they they were given some sort of caveats because they were <laughs> they were also they had a white parent. But I was like black. You know, and so they had never seen that. So then, like, can I? And it was the day I shaved my hair. I'm just kidding. I didn't. Shave <laughs> um, but I did. You know, I, I told her that I wasn't comfortable with that. You know, um, and and I tried to politely explain to her that I wasn't like a walking museum. Um, so when I'm listening to you, I'm reminded of that and of that feeling that. I, I don't know. I think that where I would kind of understand some of that being in a different country, some of what's been done in this country in my experience here would make that difficult for me, you know, uh, especially where it's constant. That was one time and that stayed with me. But for for it to be constant and I'm not Kobe, you know what I mean? Would be yeah, no, now if I'm if I'm on the if I'm on the Kobe level, yeah, you know, what outside you, yeah, you go take the right. cheese, you know. but but if I'm not, it, and 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 you're only doing it because, uh, be because what what it is is me being black is somehow a novelty for you, yeah. and it's not for me. For me, it it's potentially especially when I go back home, life or death, and so it's interesting. Um, I, I think what you did and how you handled it was admirable and, and great. I was just thinking about it while I was listening to you, and I was and I was reminded of that Minnesota experience, and I was thinking, man, I'm not sure how I would have, you know, how I would have. I like to think I would have dealt with it in much the same way that you did, but I have to be reminded that with that one young lady, I didn't say, well, there you go, you got five seconds. You know, I, 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 yeah, you know, I was just kind of right. like, nah, I'm not really with that. Of course, I was also younger and and a little more, uh, what they might call militant, you know. <laughs> but I and I think I did good by not giving her the the full speech. You cannot touch the yeah. black man's hand <laughs> because you know I didn't go into my whole Malcolm on her. But uh, but anyway, I just I commend you. But I think that would be it would be difficult to not take your experience from the U.S into a situation where what they it may be just because they've never seen 
before <laughs> and they're like, well, you know, how do I do, how do I react to that? So. Yeah, it's interesting. It's a, it speaks to something that all three of us have discussed in different combinations before. I'm sorry, wait, let me ask, let me ask Chris something. Oh. I'm just curious. So yeah. you were, you were there at the mall and, and this, this may be like a, a gut check ego thing yeah. for you, uh, because I know you used to be into celebrity, but, but <laughs> nobody ever no one, asked to touch no my one hair. was trying to nobody take ever. of you or touch your hair. What? What? Nobody ever asked that. Nobody wanted to touch. Oh, nobody. That's, that's difficult to believe. That's just, you know. Um, but that now that's interesting too, though. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because in a place where where you mainly see, oh yeah, uh, Chinese people, right? You know what I mean? Everybody's Chinese. You would think that if they saw Americans, period, that some of that would be, you know, the novelty. But the that, but I guess you see more white Americans than you do black Americans. Yeah, for sure. At least, uh, you know, particularly in Changshu, which is a smaller city compared to you know hong kong is super international and probably not a great comparison to the rest of mainland china but um yeah it's uh you know and the 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 smaller the city the fewer tourists ever get there and um uh, it, it you really go from interesting to a you know a standout novelty but in answer to your question how did i feel um, I felt like I really wanted to come to Brandon's defense if he needed it, but I wasn't exactly sure how to do that. I, I was, you know, I thought to myself, well, you know, Chris, you did have a discussion with Brandon about the other times that you'd been in China and was he, did he anticipate being comfortable being the only black person in not just the group of faculty, but the school and the town. And it wasn't going to be until maybe Hong Kong, but then again, not in Beijing. And and you can tell from, you know, Brandon's attitude that he was up for it. But that didn't change the fact that when it was, you know, I mean, we would be in a we would be in a taxi. It's not Uber in China, it's Didi, but, and people were, we were at a stoplight. Mind you, we had the windows up just because there was air conditioning in the car and people next to us were rolling down the windows and telling us like, roll down your window. And I just, and I said, Brandon, anytime you want to like, I don't know what, uh, quit or uh, have me sit by the window and, 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 you know, you can sit in the middle, just say the word. And, you know, you were having fun with people, but I, I, and I told you this, I felt like responsible in some way, but there was nothing I could do really. So it was, it, yeah, it was uncomfortable for me, but as long as I believed that, you know, as you said, and I think it's true that people were, for lack of exposure, truly interested and you know, you didn't feel, um, except maybe at the end with a lot of photographs, uh, objectified. I mean, I was okay with it. Um, it, it, you know, it doesn't compare to the way that I'm objectified in, you know, in China or the differences in, 
what people expect in terms of personal space. I mean, now I'm painting this with an extremely broad brush, but with, you know, I think generally speaking as a culture that Chinese people are more willing to uh, take pictures and stare at things that have, are of interest to them than on average an American person would be. Again, very broad brush, but um, that was also a cultural difference. I, you know, I, yeah, it's, it's complicated um, to disentangle what is cultural and should be tolerated, what is, you know, discrimination and shouldn't be. And I, I know that you have to teach in about uh, five minutes, Brandon, but I, uh, I want to get your take on um, some of the views of your students with regard to social justice and uh, give us a give us a pulse of you know 14 to 18 year olds that you come in contact with so uh, I think uh, this summer has been unique for a lot of different ways but I think the biggest ways in which I have saw a, a change is in the language that students are operating with I mean just over the last year um, the language in which students come to class with versus last year just completely different um, the way in which people are currently speaking about um, race uh, and class currently right now in class oh it's it's night and day um, I feel like um, <laughs> it's emboldened a lot of people right I think in the, the way in which people who don't believe in anti-racism or racism um, are speaking is a little bit louder. Um, but I think um, the way the ways in which uh, kids are talking about systemic racism, um, anti-immigration, injustice, uh, it's amazing. Um, and it's really, it's, it's really giving me a lot of hope uh, because if I got a class of 14 kids and 12 of them are like, not only do I know anti-racist means, but also Black Lives Matter. And it's like, mm -hmm. oh, wow. If, if I had said that two years ago, three years ago, they'd have been like, well, like, Kaepernick probably shouldn't have taken to me. Like, it's about the flag. Like, you just stand up. And like, the, the, the rhetoric is just completely different now. So I'm really encouraged. Um, and I, I'm wondering, like, wow, like, really, did, did that summer really do this much, right? Um, for me, I, I think, um, you know, following the kids on Snapchat and Instagram, just kind of following the trends, I thought it was kind of like, oh, they picked it up and they put it down. But what I'm realizing is I didn't give them enough credit in terms of what they were taking in, right? Just because they aren't talking about it at this moment doesn't mean they didn't learn it and it didn't mean something to them. So I think um, the stakes have raised and I think um, our future is in solid hands in terms of um, the things that they'll demand. I think um, some things that People have been quiet about that will adjust and that will change and they won't be quiet about it anymore. And I think as a society, the level in which we have to get to or in the, the way in which we need to treat people, that's going up. Um, the things that um, maybe my generation, my parents' generation tolerated in terms of um, racial dynamics, I don't think this generation is going to tolerate. And I think um, not only will the, the, the black kids or the black indigenous people of color um, see things as bad, but also I think a lot of white people are like, nah, did, did you hear what they just said? This is what we need. And I think that's that's the beauty of it. 
Um, the beauty in it is that a lot of people are getting together. And um, I, I, I'm a little surprised. I'm really encouraged. And I'm, I'm hoping we, we don't lose this momentum. And I, I don't know um, um, if we'll ever get back to this. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, at one point, we were like, oh, we're in a post-racial society. And it's like, oh, here we go. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And you don't want to ever get back there. But this momentum that we're carrying right now, with these, where these 14-year-olds legitimately have language around social justice, um, they have platforms, um, they're sharing things. Um, I, I had a class this morning, and they were like, no, like, we like the anti-racist block that we have at our institution, mm-hmm. but we want something actionable. I want to go and do something myself. And like, when you start hearing things like that, you're like, okay, all right, cool. Well, I can get behind this. So what can you do then if, the, if the, like they they're demanding that and they want that um and i don't want to take up too much of your time but i mean do you or have you thought about or are you already engaged in some things with them to to take that energy that they have and, and do something with it as a class or as a, you know what i mean absolutely um a huge proponent of, of prison reform and, and making sure that people aren't spending time in prison that they can't I'm always sending them different things about, you know, different bail systems um, and different people who are, who are um, unlawfully in prison for, for bad things. So I try to channel my class, not channel my classes, like, oh, if you get Mr. Thompson's class, you're going to talk about prison reform. But no, I just really try to, like, if, if people are sh- extremely passionate about it, I'm just pointing towards, well, here's something that I really enjoy and that I like. Um, you have to find what you're passionate about in your lane in this space, right? And I really encourage my kids. Um, I say my kids. I don't have any kids, by the way. Um, but my students. <laughs> to really, yeah, yeah. Growth mindset. <laughs> growth mindset. Yeah. <laughs> I really encourage them to figure out what they're passionate about, and then tie that into to how they can they can um, see see justice, right? If you're passionate about the environment, I can take you to a lot of places where environmentally, like the place has been decimated relative to race. Um, if you're passionate about food, right? What about food justice and food justice? If you're passionate about sports, it's easy to see what's going on. You channel whatever it is that you love and, and really say, all right, let me take this anti-racist lens and apply it to that and see how I can make a difference. I mean, that's what makes you a great teacher. And it's a beautiful note to end on. I think inspirational, seriously, for all of us, I mean, the best teachers are not delivering content they are channeling passions as you said and getting people excited and and you know getting them connected and i'm i share your optimism i think as a clinician hearing the sorts of things that are stirred up in people they're you know my experience this year uh, is that students are more willing to talk about their experiences around race and class and other kinds of social injustice and they have the vocabulary and I hope that you know as a faculty and you know more broadly that as adults the three of us and our you know friends and family can also be great listeners and help kids channel you know their passions in really uh, productive ways you know that 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 will result in some lasting change. I mean, fingers crossed, but thank you for being a guest on, 
I'm black, you're white, now what? I think we got a great, a great answer to the now what part um, because you're doing such amazing work. So Brandon, thank you, and I hope that uh, your class goes well and that you come back on the show because there's so much more to talk about. Thank you so much. I appreciate the time, guys. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to I'm Black, You're White, Now What? You can find more episodes on the podcast channel Teaching What It Takes, available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. To learn more about the work I do, visit www.preparingthepath.com. And to learn more about the work I do, visit drchristhurber.com. 